Welcome back to Voices of Latinx podcast. My name is Myra. My name is Hector. My name is Sandra. My name is Mariana. And this episode will revolve around the theme of sexual health, dating, and family expectations. Before we dive into our discussion, we just want to do a little trigger warning. We will be discussing heavy topics that relate to mental and sexual health. Um, so if any of these issues are, are triggering, uh, we advise uh, listener discretion. In our conversations about sexual health and dating, several specific themes emerged. Latinx youth and especially Latina girls who are often restricted from dating by their parents. Parents and youth across genders told us that Latinx parents are not comfortable talking with their children about sexual health. The stories we heard about sex education classes in schools indicated inconsistency in quality approaches and effectiveness. When asked specifically about teen pregnancy, our participants responded with a variety of perspectives on what they see as the causes and consequences of teen pregnancy. So as Sandra mentioned, um, some Latinx youth described to us how they are often discouraged or prohibited from dating. Luciana indicated that she grew up with even more strict rules about dating. She did not have a boyfriend during high school, and even now she says she doesn't need a boyfriend because it's just something extra to worry about. She indicated that her parents were really strict and that they would be like, your studies are everything. Yeah, for me, growing up, you know, it's kind of parallel to what Luciana went through. And I would also emphasize the gender roles that came into place because my household was, you know, three girls and one boy. And, you know, our brother never got the same treatment or the same kind of consejos. It was just, you know, for him to do whatever he wanted, whereas the girls, we had these limitations to who we could hang out with and who we could see. Yeah, I think growing up too, um, anytime I would mention to my parents, oh, is it okay if I have a boyfriend or something like that? And they would be like, um, no, you're too young. Like, you're not allowed to have, like, boyfriends or anything like that. You only have friends and that's it. Yeah, I feel like even still to this day, I'm 22 years old, but, like, talking about boys is still a taboo subject. And on the other hand, my brother's way younger than me. He's like 18, and for him, it's okay, and it's actually persuaded to talk about girls. I just don't understand that. Dang, I'm sorry. <laughs> for me, it was it was totally different. Being a guy, and you know, gender roles, I was never really restricted, but it is, you know, growing up and just learning and getting to know more about that next culture. Um, it kind of sucks realizing all these patterns, like living through them. Um, I have two sisters, and so like you know, before I had two sisters, I there was never talk about uh, dating or anything. Like there were never restrictions put on me. But as soon as you know my sisters started getting of age, um, immediately my parents were like, "Yeah, no, no dating until so and so," and you know, like all these extra rules. So it does does seem pretty unfair. Yeah, and it, you know, for some of us girls, it kind of creates a sneaky culture and like a, you know, hide some stuff from your parents. <laughs> Definitely. I, yeah, I took part in that growing up just because, I mean, I don't know. When, when parents tell you not to do something, 
and you view it as something that's not that big and you're like well my friends have boyfriends and they're going on dates with their parents and boyfriends like what's you know what's the hold up so it kind of creates a uh cycle of like dishonesty I feel like even to this day like my parents I feel like I'm living another life a double life and it kind of it's not good yeah and because you never spoke about those things before and so now when you're much older it's like do like how do you approach them with that and if they care yeah because my parents don't care don't (laughs) seem to care when we interviewed a mother Gabriela uh, when we asked if she allowed her children to date she responded, oh no, I told them not until they live on their own and not by my rules anymore. School always comes first and I didn't want them to get distracted. I think that's a common theme with a lot of parents putting education first. And it honestly, it, it seems rather restrictive uh, because it's not like they offer a lot of support for academics. Um, but yet, they restrict everything else and put school first. It's almost like a double-edged sword. Yeah. I feel like talking, like Gabriela said, um, as a child or as a young woman, I feel like if I was to, let's say, get pregnant or something like that, I feel like it would really, really, like, guilt me a lot. I know my parents would still be there supportive, but I I would feel like a failure. Um... So I think that speaks to that kind of standard they're they're putting you in. Um, it just kind of makes you feel like either way you might mess up, you know? Yeah, I feel like they always like to use people that they know to compare you to. I have, unfortunately, some cousins that got pregnant um, at a young age, um, like as young as 15. and. You know, every time they have the chance um, to, you know, put it in and say, well, you don't want to be like your cousin so-and-so that has two kids already and isn't in school. And so they use that as a consequential, you know, reference for you to stay in school and to compare to so that you know, like, oh, if I um, steer away from my education, then I'm going to have kids, it's going to be rough, but... Um, It's obviously not one of the best examples and um, not one of the greatest comparisons, I would think. And I think that that ties into our next theme of parents being uncomfortable discussing sexual health with their children because they love to throw out examples of what not to do, but they don't provide reasons behind why or alternatives to other things because like like you mentioned Ekdor, I think it had to do with like the education like they don't provide that support so again it's like they they're putting this weight on us to figure it out on our own and that's why you know sometimes you know what happens happens because then we go to school and we really don't even learn anything yeah to help us. I also think it's a very systemic thing, too, though. Like, they're doing what their parents um, enforced at one point. And um, my my parents were relatively young when they got married and had kids. And they um, potentially want the same for us or, like, are at least warning us from doing the same thing that they did. Um, but in a sense, like, they didn't really, you know, guide us in a way that helped us um, – 
in the area of sexual education. So if they didn't know much about it, then it's hard for them to be able to express and communicate that. And I agree that it is pretty systemic just because there's a lot of things that influence, I guess, this behavior. Um, You know, gender roles are pretty obvious, but then we have like very conservative ideals. And so we get to the point where parents just don't want to talk about sex in general. And in a way it seemed like you're just not supposed to do it until you're supposed to do it. But then that's it. Like, there's no specific details. And whenever we start exploring other topics, um, I don't know, like gender expression, they don't quite understand. And it feels like it's just a big block that they refuse to, you know, avoid or or overstep or overcome. um, Just because to them it's very binary, but it's also like, you either do it or you either don't do it. Um, but we know, you know, life is not always that simple. Um, and there's other things that usually get in the way when it comes to social norms, and especially living here in the U.S., um, having to grow up from, you know, years of passed down intergenerational uh, norms of behavior and then coming to a place like the U.S. and growing up and seeing... Um, like the American culture and what they can do, uh, it obviously highlights the rather restrictive behaviors in the Hispanic household. Yeah, so Valentina, a mother, discussed the difficulties of being a parent. She said that it was difficult talking about doctor stuff. And when asked what that doctor stuff was, she said, well, like sexual health and other topics. Part of it is time. My husband comes home from work looking to rest from long days at work. I usually have to cook dinner. Having a family is all about commitment. My kids are too young to begin their own family. That's why I always stress to them about how their education comes first. That kind of highlights what we were talking about um, a little bit earlier. But they're kind of guiding us another way. They're like, oh, okay, well, just focus on your education. Nothing will happen as long as you do that. Instead of You know, uh, Valentina mentioned how her children don't need to know until later. When is later? And in my case, later never came. And also, like, even if you think about it from our own personal experiences, people are talking about sexual health or, like, sex in general when we're, like, in elementary school. So, like, if you grow up not necessarily knowing what... I didn't know what it was, and, like... When it comes to my parents talking about it, it's more like, oh, you just have to respect yourself. But you don't, it's really broad and very vague. Like, what is that, you know? What does that mean? One thing I was gonna say is that not only do they not talk about sexual, sexual health, but they also fail to like really communicate what emotions are. Like I feel early on, we don't talk about like, I feel, or you know, like I feel sad, I feel angry and exploring why. Like, this whole concept of mental health isn't a thing we talk about. And I think it directly translates in discussions relating to sexual health because oftentimes, uh, you know, like, young Latinos, Latinas don't know what love is and, you know, don't know how to express their own emotions in certain relationships and certain aspects. And when time comes down to it, they are uneducated about expressing their emotions. We're uneducated about sexual health. And when things happen, we also don't know how to deal with them because 
to our parents, it's like, well, you shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. And so we're, it seems like it's easy to fall in this cycle that just can keep going on and on if we're not very transparent about things that we should be talking about. Right. And so in Spartanburg, we actually um, had the opportunity to observe a program um, with many Latinx mothers and their teen daughters. Um, And this program was called Girlology Program. And um, what they did was offer these classes that would make the mothers feel more comfortable in informing their children about sex and explaining more about the different changes in their bodies. Um, and, and particularly with one of the mothers, Brianna, um, who explained her experience with the program, she mentioned how reserved her and her husband were um, and how they have their sons and um, how hard it was to communicate with them. Um, so she would tell her older sons to not go have sex and that they, um, she didn't want them to be um, fathers at such a young age. Um, and she even shared her own experience of being um, 14 years old and being in the U.S. Um, and having them to be someone that can go into a career um, and by being fathers at such a young age, it would kind of prevent them from doing that. Um, And so going through the program, it allowed her to help her communicate with her daughter and explaining the changes of her body, um, as well as sharing experiences of her own and using proper terms and helping explain things that she didn't even understand before, um, including with like the menstrual cycle um, and what it is to go through that. Do y'all remember being being in that room mm-hmm. yeah how were parents re- reacting to whatever the teachers were saying honestly by what I remember they were just like I don't I don't they were just sitting there weren't they did they seem a little like they what they expressed from as what I remembered um was that they expressed like that it was something that they were uncomfortable with but that they were willing and were there to kind of learn more and to kind of um, gain some experience or kind of knowledge in how to express and how to communicate with their daughters because their parents in another way didn't, you know, go through that with them. So it was pretty cool to see them like be uncomfortable, but like conquer that uncomfortness and get over it and, you know, break that cycle in a way. I remember that they weren't tense either because the, I think the moderator, she was really outgoing and first, you know, she got to know all the mothers and the daughters. And I think that's the environment that helped, you know, everyone feel a little bit more comfortable. And um, I took my little sister. I don't know if y'all remember, but she was there and she learned a lot. Um, And my mom was like, you know, she was thanking me for taking her because she was looking at the little booklets that they had, and those were just subjects that would have never been brought up. So um, I enjoyed it. I, You know, I was kind of looking back on it. There weren't a lot of people there to begin with. Um, and when you look at Spartanburg's population and the people that could really benefit from these programs, but I don't know where girology is now. Hopefully they're doing much better. I really think that if I had experienced 
a session like this with my mom at a young age, it would have led me to be more open with her and like willing to have conversations with her just because, I mean, as, as a young girl going through puberty, it was very uncomfortable. Like I didn't know what was going on and like even talking to my mom, she like, she's like, oh, just go and do this and then you're good. But like it, it had me emotional because I was crying, but like, you know, you don't know how to express your emotions and being so young, I feel like it's important to have a support system in that way. And I, and I think too, it's also important to have someone to explain things and like why they're happening. Because I, I remember specifically not, not knowing what was going on. And then I was like, at one, one day I was like, what is this? And I go to my mom and I'm like, um, mom. And then she's like, oh yeah, aquí está una toallita. And she just brings me a pad. So my mother doesn't explain what a pad is, how to use it. She just says, here, put this on. And, you know, I go all about my day. So it was kind of confusing. And luckily in my experience, um, in my elementary school, like early on, um, I do remember specifically, um, being pulled out in a group of like four girls. Um, and they did kind of talk to us about um, menstrual cycle and, you know, using pads or tampons for your period. And I thought that was really helpful. They gave you a little pamphlet. They told you um, on top of that, like, you're going to be you know, experiencing these changes in your body. You're going to have, you know, your breast girl and all of these things were really exciting but scary at the same time until, you know, you get to middle school um, and you take these sex education classes, which in a way were informative, but also I think not many people really cared at the same time, um, which will explain further in some cases um, in other sex education classes. Sometimes they don't even explain more because of the uncomfortableness that comes with it. I also want to emphasize how Myra explained it and how I did. That's a clear example. I was way more vague about it and she went more in depth with it. So I think that's like an example of how it is with parents. Like I'm the parent, I'm more vague and <laughs> broad about it, but she's more in depth. And all of this tying into like sex ed in school, um, in our interviews, we heard mixed reports on the usefulness and content of sex ed classes in schools. Um, some youth we spoke with said they had never been taught about contraceptives and simply told to abstain from sex. Um, and I think this relates back to the bigger problem. Um, maybe not to all of our listeners, but you know, to definitely uh, those that live in 29303. Um, the teen pregnancy rate here was pretty high. Um, and you know, we live in a pretty conservative state, South Carolina, um, with years of, you know, conservative legislature and when it comes to education, you know, it's not the, it's not a coincidence that sex education is focusing on abstinence and not going into the specifics about contraceptives and, you know, how, how, or how and what sex is. Um, and so whenever we see, you know, the numbers of teen pregnancy rates, um, and not only for Latinx youth, but also for, you know, other demographics, um, we can tell that, you know, it's obviously not working. Um, so that's just one sort of angle at 
that shows how sex ed in school isn't really effective? I think it can be, but it just has to be more interactive and more um, realistic, yeah, because you can sit there and lecture kids all day about, here's a condom, this is what an STD is, this is what happens, da-da-da-da. But are they showing videos? Are they having maybe like personal experiences? Are they connecting with the students on a more personal level? So I, I think it just really matters on how the information is presented and whether or not you know the students are actually being reactive and, and listening. It also ties into who's teaching these classes and how they're coming about because the school I mean, I know um, at my school, they just showed us videos. We never, like, got a book. Or, like, you got, you guys said, interactive. None of that was interactive. And we had, like, a history teacher teach us that, which I doubt that they were qualified. And, like, they've never gotten any training. So, you know, these schools really aren't making that a priority. They're kind of relying on parents and families to, to do that. So an interviewee, Victoria, said she learned in sex ed class some key information she did not feel she could learn from her parents, including especially an understanding that it is all right not to have sex. Freshman year, we took a sex ed education class. They taught us about the reproductive system. They explained the male reproductive system, the different types of STDs, STIs, protection, and even showed us a video of a woman giving birth, which is weird, but I get it. They are trying to teach us. In middle school is when they started a health class. When I was in fifth grade, I learned in another town at that time that they were getting us ready to get into these topics. So yeah, she, she's just going in and explaining a little bit more about how, you know, she learned mo most of her sex education um, in class, in school. And I think that relates a lot to a lot of us Hispanic um, young females and males. We just learn more about it in class than with our parents. Um, which honestly, thankfully I did because if I hadn't, then I would be so lost, <laughs> especially a little bit older, like 15 years old, if I hadn't known I wouldn't have known until I experienced it, probably. And and like you're saying too, it was where it was in school where we learned um, about sex education. But I think it's more impactful when you have your parents kind of talk to you and guide you through. Um, I luckily had my dad say, "Hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. If I need to take you somewhere to get stuff, like let me know." Um, luckily, but if it wasn't for that, it, I mean, he at least said those couple words, which were enough to kind of reassure me that I could trust in my dad to, you know, potentially, and not, not that I would have, and not that he would have let me, but, you know, at least that was there, unlike maybe other people who don't get a peep from their parents of any kind of advice um, as far as, you know, sex education. So I think, I think it's very, a lot more impactful when it comes from your parents. And going back to, to the school aspect of it, when we spoke with David, who's an educator in this area, he explained that one of the issues of a local district is that they don't follow the sex ed rules or even use the research. 
um, that is already given to the school. So, you know, that's a whole South Carolina State issue, too, which we can, you know, South Carolina's up there as well. I mean, they're pretty low with education, but also pretty high with pregnancy. So it just emphasizes how sex, sexual education is a stigma and still in the dominant culture and in the Latinx culture, and it just creates a lot of a lot of um, barriers and problems, I would say. In our conversations with parents and youth about sexual health, the interviews with participants often brought up pregnancy as a concern and talked about what they saw as the underlying causes of unplanned pregnancies among Latinx teens. The factors they mentioned included a lack of attention from parents, youth not getting involved in activities, and abstinence being the only plan offered. One participant's main concern with teen pregnancy was that if a girl got pregnant, her parents were likely to cut her off from the family. I think teen pregnancy is like one of the like main spotlight sort of issues within the Latinx community. Like, I feel like everything we've talked about so far has to do with getting pregnant at not the right time. And parents never specify what time it is, but it's obvious that, um, you know, statistics and and sort of numbers now indicate that being pregnant as a teenager isn't the most optimal condition you want to be in. But instead of finding ways to dissolve the issue, it seems like being in this binary world of not having sex and having sex, the only sort of directive that we get in Latinx culture is don't get pregnant as a teen. And it becomes really problematic with all the sort of things we've already talked about, not knowing how to express your emotions, not knowing how to communicate with those that are close to you, having a lack of safe spaces, and then not even knowing a lot about reproductive health. And the very like pinnacle of that is teen pregnancy. Um, and it's a very systemic and sort of inter intergenerational cycle in which parents expect you not to do it, but then don't give us any resources or support for the positive outcome. So maybe while the ideology itself might not be quite so off, everything else around it is, um, which inherently I think just makes this whole like experience flawed in a way and it sucks because if we take for example a family that comes over and they're immigrants have a kid in the u.s in in the u.s um, or not even that but you know like kid grows up in the u.s um, and they have to already assimilate to this sort of different culture uh, assimilate to a modified version of latinx culture and then being told that you really well not having conversations about emotion, and then sexual health. Teen pregnancy could be, honestly, the least of their worries until it becomes a problem. But by then, it's kind of too late. Um, and then it brings up issues that are very controversial now, especially politically. I mean, when we talk about abortion, um, I think that the Latinx culture, with their gender roles and their conservative nature, tend to reject such concept, but it's very ironic that it seems that we don't want to 
resort to that sort of behavior, but yet they let these unfortified and I mean structures they just don't give us the necessary tools to lead a healthy sexual and reproductive life. Yeah, I kind of want to add to what you're saying. Um, I think growing up uh, Latina, my parents is reinforcing what we're talking about. But I actually just had a conversation with my mom yesterday about like having a kid that's unplanned and abortion. And she was like so against it. She's like, no, that's a human being. So it kind of creates a lot of contradictory like situations where it's like you shouldn't get pregnant, but and you're going to ruin your life. But if you get pregnant, you can't, you know what I'm saying? You can't, I don't know how to explain it, but it was very like eye-opening because in my head I was like, it was just so black and white. I, yeah. I think in my case, um, there, there are some families that are like low-key, well not low-key, but they're high-key prideful. And if you're in high school, like right after your quinceanera, and I'm saying this because I, um, one of my friends, this happened to her. Uh, you know, she was pregnant a couple months after that. And with that much pride that the father and mother had, and they were a pretty big figure within the church, that can't happen, so that baby never came out. And at that point, abortion was the option. Um, so I think low-key, you know, there is a... Yeah. There's some families that are... Yeah. That have... Yeah, that, right. they're for it. But even assuming that that was the only, like, sort of, quote-unquote, solution, they didn't view it as a solution. They viewed it as a way to... Get out of something. Get out of yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, even... And it wasn't even about a human life at that point. It was about the pride, in a sense. And it sucks because I think the question is... Like, after that incident, did the family learn? Like, did the family realize that, okay, what led us to this point of our, you know, decision to carry out this um, abortion, in a way? Um, and it, it, it's a very heavy topic, because then you have to think about all the things that, as a parent, you obviously didn't do right, um, and then think about the things that you could do differently. Yeah, going with that, um, we spoke to another interviewee, um, Sebastian, who talked about his perceptions that parents not pay enough attention to their children or are too lenient. And because of this, there's a lack of attention to the children that can lead to um, teen pregnancy. I mean, he stated, I also think that it's the level of education that the parents have. Like some parents just don't pay enough attention to their child and they just, I mean, my parents were way too strict for me, uh, for one, but I think that that kind of um, strictness helps sometimes, but other parents, um, they're too lenient or just something else, so they can't focus on their child, and so as a result, the child gets rebellious, so they end up pregnant as well. Um, and I can kind of attest to this too, where I've heard my parents talk about yeah, such and such person, a cousin or an uncle or aunt, were too, too like strict on their child, and she grew up being rebellious, going out every night, 
and still got pregnant. So it's like, you know, I feel like it's hard for them to realize that even though there is this, there's a, there has to be some sort of balance, but I feel like they don't know what that balance is. And so it's also hard for them when they're not um, educated people. And it, I mean, like, how do you control your child to the point where they're not going to be rebellious or if they're too being too lenient, then, you know, how, how can you kind of manage that at the same time? I think that's a big question. Like, what is the balance? What does that look like? But I think before we even get to that, we have to start breaking down all these small things that build up into big actions, um, sort of like gender roles. Like, what does that really mean? Like, are we really going to teach, you know, different things to different genders? And why are we doing it that way? Um, if we keep perpetrating the same culture that our parents have raised us in, I mean, it just seems like the same things are going to happen over and over again. Um, and, you know, like, you know, putting numbers and statistics aside, our experiences clearly show that there's a lack of emotion and just maybe just a lack of uh, support from parental expectations that just drive ours to be completely different. Um, so in a way, uh, we really have to ask important questions and really try to change the norm for what a healthy life should look like, especially when it comes to re reproductive health. I think that was beautifully said. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is gonna, um kind of shift with our generation and knowing a little bit more about how to name things and how to express emotion, I feel like it'll shift. Yeah, and I think one of the speculations is that, um, especially with this research and the whole report that was written, was that um, it's possible that with Latinx teenagers being out of school um, are not necessarily having enough attention or uh, primary focus from their parents, which leads them to not being as involved, um, especially when the um, teenagers, if say they're not in part of um, extracurricular activities, then it's just hard for them to stay involved within school and you know care more for their education, um, which is something that a couple of our interviewees also mentioned as well. Yeah, and we can refer to Paola and her sort of response. Paola talked about abstinence being emphasized or offered as the only option and how she thought that it wasn't really realistic um, or even hopeful. Um, she would go on to say that I feel like abstinence is not realistic. Of course, high school culture too, you're always trying to be involved in who's dating who, figuring out the social life, um, end quote. And so I feel like it it does become a weird mixture as you're growing up, as you're, you know, as your body is changing, but as you also, like, open your eyes to, like, what social life really means, uh, you realize that you don't have the tools to actually have 
the same things that maybe your white counterparts are having. And I think now when young girls and even young boys, when we're not, you know, finding that support and that kind of those answers, you know, we well, just to go our to friends the that might already be um, involved with, you know, having sex and right. stuff. Right. My point with that is that there's a lot of dangers, um, especially even on TikTok. I mean, everything is just right there. You can just, you know, search up a little something and it's right there. Um, I mean, it's true. Even when you're not trying to look for it, you know, TikTok just shows you random stuff sometimes and it'll say something like, five things to make your man such and such, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, yeah. Even even though you're not searching for it, you know, what if a little 12-year-old girl is, you know, on TikTok and that just appears and, you know, that might kind of insinuate a wrong path for a girl at such a young age or even the other way around for, for guys too. So it's definitely really hard to kind of control in a way. Especially when, like we said before, our parents, they have such busy schedules, so they're not there to monitor the children, so then who is, and, you know, who's making sure that they're not making these mistakes unknowingly? And I think, too, I mean, when I was in middle school, when there were those girls that were kind of more promiscuous and, like, would talk about sex and such things like that, it's like they were... In the eyes of everyone else, they were like the popular girls, and they were the cool girls. And so it's kind of obviously also like a peer pressure kind of thing where if you're not getting guidance from your parents or, you know, appropriate role models, like you kind of rely on these popular cool girls to kind of give you that advice or, you know, until one of them, which kind of happened in my middle school, happens to get pregnant around 14 years old. So until that happens, you're like, you get some sort of awakening of like, oh, shoot, like, that's probably what I, it's probably not someone I should be listening to. Um, But if that doesn't happen, then, you know, you might follow the wrong path. So another interviewee, Victoria, tied a lot of the issues discussed above together in her thoughts about sexual health, mental health, connecting with peers, and relationships between youth and parents including that youth's fear of disappointing their parents may paradoxically lead to pregnancy. And and, um, in the interview she said, and I think that during the heat of the moment, they don't really think about the consequences and that is why so many people get pregnant. But I also think that it's about your parents not being able to talk about it openly. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier, if we don't have that transparency, then it kind of creates um, some problems that could lead to, for it to happen. Um, she also stated, I mean, since I have always been so closed off to people, that is why it makes it so difficult for me to open up. I can't be the one to start a conversation with anybody without being scared or shy, and it's because I've never gone out there and meeting people. So in a way, it's affected my social skills, and it's so weird and uncomfortable. My anxiety has been really all through, really rough that time because I had recently come to terms with the fact that I got sexually assaulted when I was younger. And furthermore, that explains how if you don't have that communication with your parents, then it kind of creates conflict within yourself and mental health can be affected and just how that can lead to so many, so many problems that could at least be 
mended a little bit through speaking with parents. But if parents are open like that, then you just internalize a lot of things, which is sadly what happened with Victoria. I guess, too, it's like she, you know, obviously tried to speak up about um, being sexually assaulted and she tried to explain it to her parents, but it's just being dismissed as, you know, if it didn't get to a severe point, well, then it's not, you know, an assault or something is what they, what her parents are making it seem like. So I think it obviously creates some sort of um, anxiety and trauma in her, and it's kind of, it goes back to, like, you know, when she grows up, it's going to just create insecurities in her relationships and her being able to communicate, like, you know, things that happened to her. So it's definitely um, an area where if you don't have that support system, if you don't have people there to listen to you, then, you know, without that support system, then it kind of bottles up those emotions and doesn't allow you to you know, actually expand on situations and have a safe space to get your feelings across, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and this similar thing happened to a family member of mine who didn't speak up until, you know, they, they kind of came of age and they weren't, you know, a young child anymore. And that kind of, you know, cloud of blame, thinking that it was your fault. It just kind of resonates um, because, like you said, they didn't have any guidance and they didn't really know how to formally stake their emotions and what they were going through because it was with a trusted family member. So, you know, at that point, it's like I, you know, they they don't know who to turn to. Um, but then in my case, when it was brought up until like other family members for it to be known that this cousin did this, um, a lot of uncles were like, well, why is she speaking up now? And that's kind of that toxic masculinity of them trying to, you know, cover for each other because that's just, it's like been a whole cycle of the men doing this to the younger girls. And so like, how does it stop? Right. And I think it's unfortunate because when um, teenagers or younger children grow up and they've bottled this emotion for so long, then they kind of turn that into when they have their own children, they don't, you know, they're too scared or they're too uncomfortable to talk to their own kids. So it's it's something that if the cycle isn't bro- broken, then like it just continues and continues throughout, you know, families. Yeah, and Victoria, Um, she even mentions that you know something that was asked was like but did you get raped and that point and that that just defeats the whole purpose and now it's like when when you get this kind of resentment in these questions you're like well I'm not gonna tell you anymore like that helped so much Um, and you can't go to like your your guidance counselors or anyone at school because you know they're, they're white they don't understand the external stressors that we're also going through. And then, you know, that would be like a like a whole day session to talk to someone about that. Or they would, I mean, at that point, too, if they go to the guidance counselor, they're, um, 
their responsibilities to report it. And so them going to the parents, I mean, and, you know, trying to get the parents involved or other people involved, I mean, trying to, it would maximize the whole situation. And I think when you're going through things like this, you don't want to, you know, bring attention to something that's already, you know, not being recognized by your own parents. So I think it's kind of tough to know what to do in that situation, um, especially when the least thing that you want is to have more attention to it. Mm-hmm. And which is why Victoria later mentions that everything was so frustrating to her, and that's why she detached herself from her parents, and that's like, that's the worst part. Yeah, that's the worst part. It becomes an isolation type of thing, and that's where you get a lot of the depression. Mm-hmm. And trust issues with now another, a future partner that you might have. You know, I think at one point or another, each of us found like our experience through somebody else's experience. And I mean, Victoria's experience, I think, ties in really everything we've talked about in our episodes so far to a point where it's really led up to a bad experience in general, but as a result of just structures not being supportive of Latinx youth. And so, you know, whenever we go out to face life, we don't even know what life is. We don't even understand the emotional, biological, and even social norms that drive the things that may influence other people's behaviors. And then we get to our own experience, things like this happen, and we can't even deal with it, which bring our mental health even to a, to a deeper, deeper state. And it sucks because, you know, like this happens to teenagers, like this is happening out there and, and yeah. This was a very heavy conversation. And I think all of which goes on to show how the structures and systems set upon for Latinx youth aren't exactly the systems and structures that should be set upon. Um, On our next episode, we'll discuss appreciation for efforts for greater inclusion, uh, which really just means how to have a better experience, how to really change up dynamics, and we'll discuss things that work for us and that, you know, may uplift our participants' voices our own voices, and in a way, uh, bring a positive light into all of what we've been discussing up until this moment. So, until next time, peace. Adios. See you later. Ciao.